Hi, welcome back to the Adam's Word podcast. We're here with uh, Paul McCarty in in the home, and uh, we're excited to get to learn a little little bit about his life story. So, thanks for joining us, Paul. And we'll just have yeah. you get started while, by telling us where you grew up and a little bit about your childhood and things you used to do when you were a kid. Very good. Yeah, I grew up in Coos Bay, Oregon, which is a beautiful town on the Oregon coast. And uh, actually, one thing that was very unique about Coos Bay that most people don't know, Coos Bay was the largest lumber export in the whole world for 40 years. And then that spotted owl thing killed it (laughs) because they said no more cutting in the old growth forest. Okay. When I was a kid, now you see a log truck that has like 100 logs on it. When I was a kid, it might have had 10 or 15 at the most. And uh, I saw three trucks at one time, at different times throughout my life that had one log that filled the whole truck. Wow. I mean, it was gigantic. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So... Coos Bay was a big lumber area. Um, now, as a young boy, um, I, you know, I had a lot of friends around I'd play with. And one thing that was very unique about the McCarty home, um, back in that day, almost nobody had trampolines. Okay. There were only three trampolines in the city of Coos Bay. Really? <laughs> one at the McCarty house, one at the high school, and one at the swimming pool. Those wow. the so you were the only residential that had one. Yeah. And there were times during the summer that we'd have anywhere from 30 to 50 kids in the backyard waiting to play Holy on the trampoline. <laughs> we played a game called add-on where you would do a trick and the next kid had to do that trick and then add a new trick on. And you kept going until some kid messes up yeah. and then they're out and then the next one comes and they start over again. And you can have 30 kids in the line, but when it gets down to the last two, whoever's the winner, they're the first one, and then you go in order of how you didn't make it. Got it out. Yeah. But yeah, so we got a trampoline when I was five years old, Uh and uh, we actually got rid of it about the time I got out of high school, But uh, because pretty much all my family... I'm I'm the second to the youngest in the family of seven children. Seven kids, wow. Yeah. And uh, so when I got older, they just, dad just took it out. <laughs> I'm sure it was well used by then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'd had to, actually had to replace the mat a couple times, but the, it was just a lot of fun to be and, you know, have friends come over. And actually, we had a rule that, you couldn't jump on the trampoline unless there was a McCarty kid in the backyard with you. Oh, yeah. And there was one young man who loved to jump. So he would come to the house, knock on the door, and he'd get me to go down to the McKay's Market, which was about a block west of my house, uh-huh. or no, north. But um, we'd go down there and he'd buy me a hostess pie, one of those little pie things. Yeah. And I would eat it while he jumped. <laughs> and uh, but back then, yeah, be in the backyard with him. It wasn't that expensive. Now they're over a dollar. Back then they were twelve cents. I was going to say probably closer to a quarter, huh? Yeah, twelve cents That's... for a pie. But um, so, and and as a young boy, about four, five, or six years old, we only lived four blocks north or four blocks west 
of the um, the bay, the Coos okay. Bay. Looking out the back window of our house, you could see the bay, the sand dunes, and the ocean, which wow. is a beautiful view. I bet. But as a young boy, when I wouldn't have anything to do, I would walk down to the beach, which was four blocks west of the house I grew up in, and I'd go around smashing jellyfish. <laughs> they were already dead, so it wasn't bad that I smashed them. But you always had to make sure you had shoes on because a jellyfish will sting you even though they're dead. Even though they're dead. Yeah. So they so, would just wash up on shore, basically? Yeah, when they're dead, they just wash up on the beach. And then when the water goes out, they're laying there. Okay. So I'd just go around smashing them just for something to do. Fun. Yeah. So it sounds like a big community of kids and you just run around playing and doing stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. What other hobbies did you have? Um, well, as a young boy, it's funny, we had like three or four poodles as I was growing up. And um, when one would die or run away or whatever, we always, the, all of them were named Toby. All the two, <laughs> to, we, we had Toby um, poodles. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of friends around that we would hang around and do things. One of the nice thing was the elementary school was about three blocks from my house and the junior high was less than a block from our house. It literally was kitty corner. So, so the, you know, the playgrounds and stuff, you could go and goof around in with your friends. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, so we, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that we would hang out. And at that time, in Coos Bay, the church wasn't very strong. Um, well, when I was going to high school and I went to seminary, the early morning seminary, which was the only seminary class in that area, we there were two high schools. All four grades met at seminary, and we had maybe nine to 12 kids there from both high schools. That's all we got. Yeah, pretty small. Yeah, so um, almost all my friends growing up that were in school were not members. Um, I did have outside school friends that were members. And we would do lots of fun things. And, you know, whenever there was state dances or whatever, we all went together and stuff. So... Good deal. So, yeah, so I had my... School friends that I hung out with only at school. I really wouldn't hang out with them afterwards because most of them didn't have the same standards as I did, especially in high school. It was the goal of the high school football team was to get me to drink a beer before I graduated. (laughs) And they actually pushed really super hard. In fact, one of the guys went as far as he took a beer bottle, cut the bottom off, you know, with a, a bottle cutter. Uh-huh. So that the bottle was off because he said, we knew that if we held you down and tried to pour a beer in your mouth, you would stick your tongue in the in the hole. Oh, yeah. But he said, so what I did is I cut the bottom off the beer bottle so I could take a, um ice pick and poke your t- tongue so you couldn't stop it from coming in. Man. But he never did that. <laughs> but he he actually did it. He, but I think because of my persistence of not wanting it he didn't feel he should do it yeah but uh yeah so i've still never tasted alcohol in my whole life so but it was funny that they pushed hard they wanted me to drink 
I was going to say, every, everyone knew your standards then, right? Yeah, that's true. And the other thing that was funny, uh, a few years back on Facebook, um, well, not Facebook, uh, it's the one word that you do on the computer. Is that Facebook? Yeah. Okay. Probably Facebook. Well, yeah, it's the one where you one of the social medias. Yeah. yeah. Where you have lots of friends that you communicate with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the guys in my, from my high school group that we were friends on the computer, um, he got a DUI and he was belly aching about it on his, on his Facebook. Uh And, uh, I texted in. Still never tasted alcohol. And all these guys that gave me such a hard time in high school were saying, that's so cool. Way to go. Way to go. Yeah. So they were patting me on the back. There you go. Anyway. But yeah, so that's kind of... Now, one of the other things, um, I had a couple friends that were members of the church that we would go bike riding on Saturdays and stuff. And we actually went as far as rode our bikes out to the sand dunes and played around which it was about a five to 10 mile drop, ride or bike out okay. to the sand dunes because we had to go over a bridge and all kinds of stuff. Gotcha. But um, that actually, um, the one of the friends, it was his brother and his older brother, and he was Jay Graham, and his son is uh, Devin Graham, who's one of the top YouTubers in the world. He's got over 6 million followers on YouTube. Man, he's, he's the one they call Devin Supertramp, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's And that's his dad and I grew up in Coos Bay. Nice. Yeah, Devin's a, he's a member of the church too. But but okay. yeah, I, um, I, I've got Devin's cell phone number on my phone. I can call and chat with him. Cool. Uh, that's <laughs> fun. But yeah, so, um, and I had um, some other friends. Um there was Claire Rude, Joe Ebert, and Ed Ebert. Um, and we would, uh, actually during the summer, um, his dad owned a dairy farm. Claire Rude's dad owned a dairy farm. And we would go out when there was going to be a church dance or something. And we would go out and help him get the cows milked really fast so we could go. And so we would actually go out to the farm and help. Um, but in the summer they did some haying where they had a field where they cut down the hay and or the grass and bailed it. Bailed it up. So we would go out and buck all the bells and get it into the barn. And uh, I don't think we even got paid for it. We just do it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what my growing up life was like. Good deal. Uh, I did play saying- football and wrestled in high school too, which... Football and wrestling. Yeah. Nice. Which is good. Yeah, keep you involved with all the kids there too, huh? Yeah, one of my friends from high school, uh, Dean Clemens, he was a colonel in the Air Force. He he ran Eglin Air Force Base for three years. Okay. And uh, when he was going to retire, because he found out well, if you're not a pilot, you can't be a general. So he was going to retire, but the four-star general liked him so much that he made him his first assistant. And huh. so he was that for four years, but then he decided to retire so he asked his oldest son, if you could pick a state to live in, where would it be? And he said, Hawaii. <laughs> so uh, he got permission from the four-star general to run the radar system that covered the entire Pacific Ocean for one year, and then he retired. Wow. Nice. Okay. So that's, that's my grow-up. 
Dang. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, you, so you went to all your schooling there through high school down in Coos Bay, and then where did life take you? Uh, then I went to BYU Pro. You went straight to, to college? Yeah, I went to one semester okay. before my mission. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. Now, one other thing I didn't mention about my childhood, my family would go camping a lot, uh-huh. and we had a ski boat, so I learned how to slalom ski about it age 10 nice. and uh, so we would go skiing and uh, swimming at the beach there was a it was called Loon Lake we would go to which is about 30 40 miles from our house okay but it was a good place to go camping as a family nice okay now back yeah to tell you. us about your mission well I went to Virginia okay and uh, it was a real phenomenal experience. It was just unbelievably wonderful. I And I'll always love Virginia for the rest of my life. Um, the areas I covered, I started in Chester, which butts up to the bottom, the south part of, of Richmond. Okay. So I was in Chester, then they moved me to uh, Virginia Beach and after Virginia Beach, I went to Hampton, Newport News, which was two cities, Hampton and Newport News. Okay. But my territory covered a little bit of both. And um, then I went to Tappahannock. It's on the Rappahannock River. And it's uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Richmond or in Virginia. And the funny thing about it was it was a branch and it covered 1,500 square miles. Wow. Yeah, it it literally, you know, the state of Virginia has a kind of a big area, uh-huh. and that's pretty much almost all of that was in the branch. Okay, wow. And uh, in fact, in the branch was the two houses that George Washington and Robert E. Lee were born in, and they're only like a five miles apart or fifteen uh-huh. miles, but uh, they were actually in our branch. We never went up there because it was so far away. Yeah. And in fact, the funny thing was, we were only allotted 50 miles a day on our car. So what we would do is we had a bike rack, put our bikes on the back of the car. We would drive 25 miles, park the car, and then we would ride from house to house because the houses could be anywhere from a quarter to a half mile apart. And so we would ride our bikes from house to house. Interesting. But that's in Tappahannock. And then... The last two months of my mission, it was actually only going to be the last month of my mission, but I guess somebody got sick or something, so I got a one-month extension. Okay. And uh, I went back to Richmond, which was a little north Richmond. Um, We were off a three-chop road is where we lived. But um, we actually covered downtown Richmond, uh, Virginia Commonwealth, which is a university there, Mm -hmm. that was in our area. But also the University of Richmond was in our area because areas were really big back in that day. And the area that I was in had been closed for three years and hadn't been open for three years. And they closed it because it hadn't had any baptisms for many years. Yeah. And um, the funny thing about it was one day when we were riding our bikes down by Virginia Commonwealth, um, a girl flagged us down and pulled us over. 
And she said, I have a really good friend that's a member of your church. And she's been talking to me about your church. And I'd like to know more about it. So we start teaching her. The funniest thing in the world was she had her father was a preacher back in he was a of a Lutheran church back in Roanoke, Virginia, which was a long, long ways away. In fact, Roanoke, Virginia was where our church our mission headquarters was. Okay. We were the Roanoke, Virginia mission. But anyway, we taught her and um one evening, when we sat down, we actually taught her in a study room in a in the library at the high college. At the college, yeah. And um, as I we started talking, I felt the spirit really hard, strong in my heart. And I looked at her and I said, "Are you feeling a strong emotion in your heart?" And she said, "Yes, I am." I said, that's telling you that the church is true. Do you believe that? And she said, yes, I do. And uh, that night we asked her to get baptized and she said, yes. So, and the funny thing was, I only had two weeks left on my mission. So we finished teaching her and she got interviewed. I baptized her the night before I took a bus to Roanoke Back to, to go home. So I literally wow. baptized a girl two nights before I took my flight home. Nice. And actually, the other thing that was funny, in that Tappahannock, there was a girl that lived in the apartment complex we did, which was actually just a building with four apartments in it. And um, we had gotten to know her pretty good and taught her a little bit. Um, She found out I was going home and she asked to be baptized at the same time. So the night before I went home, I baptized two girls. Um, the night before I went home. Wow. That's or at cool. least back to the mission home and then home. It's a nice farewell. Yeah. <laughs> so my mission was phenomenal. It was just uh, a, a really, really strong experience. There was one other baptism that we did that I really like to share. Um, there were two girls, they were twins, and they were African-American. Mm-hmm. And the like the year before is when the church allowed black people to be given the priesthood. Okay. And so in the ward that we were in there in uh, um, Hampton, Newport News, had no black people in it. So when we had, their name was Wendy and Wanda Green. And uh, one of the things they did, which I thought was hilarious, and because they said they did this a lot in high school. One day when we came up, the two, the two sisters, the twins, jumped on both sides of me and, and went, Oreo, Oreo. Because <laughs> two black girls and, and Elder McCarty in the middle. Cream in the middle. <laughs> went, I'm a white and they're black, so it's an Oreo. That's funny. So they would do that in high school where they'd just jump on the sides of boys and say, Oreo, Oreo. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, we taught them and they got baptized. And uh, kind of a wonderful experience. Cool. I'm always interested. To, I'm, I'm tempted to try to find them and look up their history or something to see if they're still active. Yeah, it would be interesting to see a lot of a lot of people. I, I think about that with my mission too. I'm like, well, I wonder how I can find these people. Yeah, these days that you can look on the Facebook and other social media places. So nice. So 
Then you came back home from your mission, and yeah. did you go back to BYU at that time? Yes. Okay. Then I went back to Provo, Utah, and um, one of the most ex- wonderful jobs that I ever had in my life. Um, when school started, you know, it starts in September. Uh, in October, the beginning of October, I went up and applied for a job at the Mission Training Center. Okay. And um, in October, I got a job. So I started as a teacher at the Mission Training Center. And uh, the thing that always baffled me is I used to scratch my head sometimes and think, why are they even paying me for this? But the funniest thing is it's the highest paying job on BYU campus. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, back then, the average income was $3.50 an hour. Okay. And I was making $5.50 an hour. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And so um, it was just a very spiritual, wonderful experience that I had as I was there in the Mission Training Center. Um, It was just phenomenal. I mean, I just such a wonderful, strong, spiritual experience. And I, and I taught there for three years. Um, and I felt bad. The reason I ended in August of 1984 was I interviewed and I was given a internship job with IBM to be a salesman selling typewriters and printers and stuff. So I went up to, I had to drive to Salt Lake every day and, uh, I did that for like four months. I finished in January. Okay. Started in August and finished in January. So that's why I didn't finish up my college at the MTC. At the MTC. But, uh, so yeah, and then we had our first child before we graduated. Okay. So yeah, tell us how you met Ellen. Oh, that is funny. The very first night she was at college, um, there was a dance and I met her at the dance and we danced about four times. And, um, but that was her very first, that was the day she arrived. So I met her the day she came to BYU. And then the funny thing was, is I wanted to date her, but when I would call her apartment or stop by and knock on the door on the weekends, she had an aunt that lived in American Fork. And she would go up because she had a cousin also lived up there and she would go up and spend the weekends at her aunt's house with her cousin. And uh, so I just had been trying to get a hold of her for like two months. (laughs) And she'd disappear on the weekends. (laughs) Yeah. So um, one night, because we would do kind of funny things on campus for things to do. And um, I had some friends and there was one building on campus that they never locked. I think it, it was the math building or something. But it literally, it stayed unlocked all night long. But we went and bought some dart guns with the little rubber darts where you put it in and pull a trigger. And uh, your, your date and you were, you, we had like six couples there. Okay. And we would split up in the building and you went around to shoot everybody else. <laughs> and um, if you were shot, then you had to go stand in the foyer. And uh, so you just went around shooting at people and, and tell whoever wins. But I went to get the girl I was going to, I'd been dating another girl. And the funny thing is she lived in the same dorm 
that Ellen lived in. Okay. And uh, when I went, she wasn't feeling well. So I went up and knocked on Ellen's door and she was home. So she and I went and played this game. And that's when we started dating. And, uh, and we dated for quite a while. I mean, we just kept, you know, seeing each other and stuff. And so things were going well. And uh, then the funny thing was, so we, you know, we would, we, during weekdays, we didn't hang out a whole lot because, you know, you got college and study and all Classes that. And... But we would hang out on weekends and stuff. But um, the, I, I'm trying to think. <laughs> so, oh, on Valentine's Day, I went by to get Ellen, you know, so I could spend time with her on Valentine's Day. Well, when I knocked on the door, um, one of the other roommates came and said, well, our home teaching brothers are over, so we're just doing stuff with them. And I said, well, I want to talk to Ellen. Can she come? And they said, no, because we're all together with our (laughs) family home evening brothers. And so I was really frustrated. And I thought, okay, should I just dump her? And, you know, because we've been dating (laughs) for like five months. And I said, should I dump her or should I marry her? And so I went home and I sat in my room and I would pray and then sit and think and pray and then sit and think. So I prayed a lot. And then finally, the Spirit spoke to my heart and said, marry her. So it was still early enough that I called the company, which wasn't far from the place I lived, which was a jewelry company that I had picked out a diamond and a diamond ring. Ellen and I actually on a date went by and she found a ring she liked. And so I called them and asked them to set it. And they did and I went and picked it up. And then I went to Ellen's and we drove up to the Provo Temple and we walked around it. And when we got to the backside, I went down on one knee and opened up the ring box and said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so we got engaged. And and uh, now one thing I, should, I didn't think of mentioning in January, because we were, we were pretty serious. And in January, we drove down to Phoenix because her parents, well, we drove to Mesa, Arizona, because mm-hmm. that's where she grew up with okay. her family, with her mom and dad. Well, her teenage years. Yeah. And um, actually, one of my roommates who also lived in Phoenix went with us. And um, so we went down to meet her parents so she could introduce me to her parents. And it was a nice weekend. So that Perfect. that happened before in January, and then I proposed in February 14th. Okay. And Still then we got married in June. Perfect. Okay. Sounds great. So while you were at school, what were you studying? And uh, Business management and marketing. So okay. that was my graduating was marketing business management. And did you go on to use that in a profession? Yes. Tell us about your your profession. Well, the funny thing was when I first um, graduated, I actually had four job offers, which is kind of amazing. But when I, because back then, I don't think they have this anymore. You go on sign up for interviews 
and companies would come in and interview people signed like up. Like a job, job fair or something? Yeah. It wasn't really a job fair. It was just there was a, an area that these people would go and you would go into a room and interview. Okay. Um, but um, one of the times, and I didn't know that because it, it wasn't for a salesman. I thought it was for a salesman. Hallmark Cards was there. And I signed up and got in. But the thing is, I found out when I got in with this guy that I was supposed to have my master's and then I would be in management. Oh, really? Yeah, of the, of the company, not as a salesman. As a, yeah. And, uh, the, but and during the interview, for some reason, the guy said he liked me a lot. He said, but the, the rule is you cannot work for Hallmark unless you've had another job first. You can't come right out of college and be a salesman for Hallmark. You have to have some experience. So anyway, the job I took was with Ford Motor Company. And my job, in fact, at the time, I didn't even really understand it. But what it was is my job would be to work with customers who were frustrated with the service manager. When they bought a car... And then the service manager, um, they have problems with it. And if the service manager wasn't fixing it or doing it correctly or getting it done fast, they get frustrated and then they call the company. And then my job would be to work with that customer and with the um, service manager to make Go things between. yeah to make things work. Okay. Now I was only there for three months. The funniest thing was because I never got to a point where I was going to work between the two because it takes six months or so to train on how to do it. What my main job was at that time was to take phone calls from frustrated customers and then get it to the people who work with the service managers and get that information to them so they could set up an appointment to meet with the customer and the service manager. Okay. So that's that's what that was my job with Ford Motor Company. But I realized it's not something I really wanted to do. And so then I thought about it and I called Hallmark. And they said, "That's funny you called. We yeah, we have an opening right now in the West and um we could have you fly out to Los Angeles and interview." And uh I flew out and I got the job. <laughs> so I switched from Ford Motor Company to Hallmark. And um, the reason we had moved to Phoenix and took that job so that Ford. Ford was in Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. And the funny thing is, when we did that, Ellen's parents were living there. Yeah. But by the time we moved down, Ellen's dad was transferred or he took a different job with another company in Denver. So the funny thing about it was um, our moving truck taking us from Provo to Phoenix, we figured they passed on the road with her dad's stuff being moved to Denver. Oh, really? <laughs> so Interesting. it literally, because they moved at pretty much the same time we moved. Yeah. And uh, so we rented an apartment in Phoenix, or no, actually in Mesa. And, uh, but yeah, so... I worked there for a while, and then my training went from October 
Well, no, wait a second. I think I started in September with Hallmark. And my training went all the way into February. And that's when I got my first job in Grand Junction, Colorado with Hallmark. But um, so I went through training and and different things. I trained in L.A., so which was really kind of frustrating because Ellen was still living in Mesa by herself with Rachel, our oldest daughter. Okay. And I was in um, Los Angeles for like a month. And then you were heading to Grand Junction after? <laughs> well, yeah, that, but then I, I remember, because even though when I finished training, they still didn't have a place to put me yet. So I was working in Phoenix area for a while. Okay. And, um, but it was actually on February 3rd, I think, is when we moved to Grand Junction. Well, that was the day we flew in and our truck was being shipped. And um, it was kind of cool because I was only 25 and we bought a house. And uh, Grand Junction had gone through a tough time when a, a company had broke, had closed. And it's funny that they had sand that they could pull oil out of. And, uh, but something happened and they decided not to do it anymore and shut it down and pretty much crushed the area. Um, the house that we bought had sold three years earlier for 95000 When we bought it, it was only 60000 wow. And uh, Yeah. And then when we sold it three years later, when we got transferred to Missoula, Montana, uh, we got 75000 for it. There you go. Yeah. But so anyway, but we actually finished off the basement and had a playroom and a bedroom in the basement too that hadn't been there before. Okay. So anyway, um, so that's my working. I and I worked for Hallmark for eighteen years. Um, okay. So they sent you from Colorado to, to Montana. Missoula. Yeah, from three years in Grand Junction, six years in Missoula, and then nine years in Spokane, and then they did a downsize where they eliminated the Spokane area. Uh And even though I was the number one salesman in the region, they had to let me go because they had a no move policy. Uh. When they moved our family from Missoula, Montana to Spokane, they spent over $80,000 moving us. What? Yeah, with Hallmark, you were family. They they treated you, first thing they do is write you a check for 5,500 just for incidental costs. And when our house didn't sell in three months, they cut us a check for 166000 Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so they took care of us. Sounds and, like it. Yeah, but because of that, they decided not to move people around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they closed this area, they weren't going to move me to another area. They just let me go. Okay. And uh, funny thing is, too, is the guy that um, his father was CEO. His grandfather's the man who started Hallmark. And most people don't know this. Hallmark's not a corporation. It's owned by the Hall family. Hmm. And so there's no stock. Interesting. But so um, the guy, a guy that was my friend, we'd meet at meetings and stuff and talk a little bit. Um, He's now the CEO of Hallmark. Okay. Yeah, so, but I haven't talked to him in 20 years, so. (laughs) Gotcha. Tell us about your family. 
you, you said you had one, oh, one yeah. child. Oh, yeah, Rachel was born. Rachel at, at BYU. And yeah, then, in, yeah, and when we were at BYU, um, Mitchell, I mean, no, it's not Mitchell, Matt, my, the next son down, he was born in Grand Junction. Okay. And then Melissa, his, the next sister, she was born in Grand Junction. In fact, when we moved to Missoula, she was only like six months old when Ellen and I went up to find a house. Okay. And um, it's kind of funny. That first house had been around for a while. The next two houses we bought while they were under construction uh, in Missoula and in Spokane. Um, So anyway, so um, in Missoula, so Mitchell or Matt and Melissa were born in Grand Junction. Stephanie was born in Missoula. And then Mitchell and Emily, are the twin boy and girl, they were born here in Missoula. I mean, in Spokane. And the funniest thing about it was they were born like, it was two or, two or three weeks after we moved here. And uh, they came like two months early. I mean, they came really early. Yeah. And they had to stay in the hospital for a full month before we could bring him home wow. because they had to feed him and stuff. And yeah, that's Ellen had to go in every day and be, you know, with him and to feed him and all that kind of stuff. And they couldn't nurse because they were just little dinky things. So they had to <laughs> insert, you know, pump the milk into their stomachs. Do a little feeding tube. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so that's how all the kids came around. Good deal. And, uh, and all six of the kids were married by age of birth. Um, each one of them married in the time of that when they were born, meaning they're in the same order. Oh, in fact, okay. the funny thing is Emily is only 15 minutes older than Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but she got married before Mitchell did. Okay. Yeah, Good so. deal. So you told us a little bit about your childhood and going to seminary and things like that. Um, When did you, uh, at what point in your life did you feel like you had really gained a testimony or is that something that came on slowly? No, I think I I developed a testimony when I was a child. And um, the funny thing is, even though I was young, um, when I was a teenager... I remember I would read the Book of Mormon each night when I would go to bed. And I didn't read a whole lot, but I would read some, yeah. and uh, which is good. And, uh, and I had some spiritual experiences. This may sound silly, but when I was in elementary school, I would get C's and D's and maybe a B every once in a while. I got terrible grades. And when I got to be about fifth grade, or no, I think it was sixth grade, I realized that I wanted to go to Brigham Young University. And if I didn't have a good GPA, I couldn't go. Couldn't go, yeah. And uh, every night I would ask Heavenly Father for help, that I could do better in school. And the funny thing was, by the time I finished eighth grade, they had a plaque on the wall with the students that had the best grades 
Mm-hmm. I was number five with a 3.5. And, uh, which is so weird because I was getting C's and D's. Yeah. And now I was getting mostly A's and B's. So kind of weird, but that helped me in my understanding that God loved me and that I was a child of God. Cool. And, um, Another thing that really had a huge impact on me, because um, I, I had a testimony and I, I mean, I was there, but when I was on my mission, um, back then you had to memorize the discussions completely. You literally had to be able to quote it exactly word perfect. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling with that on my mission a little bit. And I would get up one hour early every morning to study more. And one morning I was up early and it was funny because the apartment we were in was, it was on the back side of a member's home and we weren't connected, but our heater wasn't very good and it was cold. And we were told never to do this, but I did it. I opened the oven door and turned it on and put my feet up there while I was studying. (laughs) And, uh, But for some reason, I started to feel the spirit and I started getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it got so strong that I almost felt like the top of my head was going to pop off. I mean, it was just super, super strong. And I literally felt like Christ came down and hugged me. And after that experience, it changed me completely. And I didn't even realize it at first, but that ward that I was in, we had a woman that we baptized when we were, when I, right after I first got there. And the funny thing was, um, she was pregnant at the time and she had a baby and she kept thinking, I'm never going to let my son go on a mission. And then when I got transferred, she pulled me to the side and told me that. And then she said, but because of the change I've seen in you, my son's going on a mission. Yeah. Because that experience I had with the strong, strong spiritual experience changed me completely. And I, I didn't even notice it. I didn't know it, but it did. And because of that, that's why that woman said, my son's going to go on a mission. <laughs> yeah, nice. Because I changed a lot. Good deal. Perfect. Any other uh, big turning points in your life that you'd like to touch on? Well, even though I'd been with Hallmark for 18 years, and because they had that downsize, it was kind of difficult. I didn't know this, but for some reason, almost every job I got here in Spokane for the next long, you know, 20 years, almost none of them, I'd only stay in a, a job for like, a year to two years. And most companies, for some reason, just found a reason to get rid of you and get somebody else. Not because maybe you weren't a good salesman, but just because they wanted new people all the time. Hmm. But anyway, so I bounced around a lot to different companies over the years. And um, well, one of the companies went bankrupt. I worked for Rustberry Gift, which is a a gift company and I did really well with them, but then they went bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, after that I went and worked other places. So, but I usually did really well with most of the jobs that I had. 
So you did mostly sales positions along? Pretty much your, almost every one, every one of them was a sales job. Yeah. And um, that last one, which is kind of silly, it was the lowest paying job I'd ever had in my life. When I worked for uh, True Green, okay. I was a door-to-door salesman selling lawn services. After all those years. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing was, is they're just, I had been unemployed for a year and I just couldn't find, and I, the other problem too was I was like 56. And so companies didn't really want you when you're that old. You probably knew what you were doing going door to door from your missionary background. And, and actually the missionaries, that, that is true. And all the, one of the things I learned with Hallmark right off the bat with Hallmark, I, I was a good salesman, but when we came out with a new product, it was a four foot card section. And my boss pretty much told me, you've got to get this in every store, no matter what. And so I had a push and there were three stores that said, we don't want those where they won't sell. And I pushed and pushed and got them to do it. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was one month after they had put them in and I came around and all three of them said, we've almost sold nothing. And I felt really guilty and I realized that what I did was wrong. So I said, market half price and next and a month later, I'll just credit you on everything that was still there. And so they closed it out. But that taught me something that it's not about me pushing them to do something so that I can make a sale. The whole purpose of a salesman is to work with a customer, determining what their needs are and work together to make things happen correctly. And, um, because of that, I changed completely as a salesman. Yeah. And I, I was never pushy. In fact, the funny thing was, one of the jobs here in Spokane, I got a job with Lexus cars, selling mm-hmm. cars. And I sold a couple cars. But the thing that was funny is they eventually let me go because they said, you're not a pushy salesman. <laughs> and we need a pushy salesman. And But I learned back in the day with Hallmark that... Pushing is the worst thing you can do. It can backfire on you. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about doing what's right for the customer. And um, because I learned that, every time I got transferred, and even when they let me go, I had account, you know, owners come to me and say, you can't leave. We've never had a salesman who treats us like you do. (laughs) And, And I had many people say that to me that you can't leave because, you know, you take care of us correctly and others don't. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of funny. That is nice. Well, Paul, this has been great. How about we wrap things up by you telling us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, um, I think it's crucial to live a life that's Christ worthy. Um, in fact, It's not easy, but we should try to live a Christ-like life. You know, try to be like how Christ was. And, um, but that's really hard because we don't even know exactly how he was because we weren't there. But we should try to be nice to people. Um, 
being a member of the church all my life, you know, like I said, in high school, it's funny how the kids in the school, they they knew I was LDS and they knew I didn't do things that they did. And uh, so it was just kind of interesting. And uh, but I... I believe very strongly in who Christ is, and I even did in high school. And um, but I've come more knowledgeable over the years, and I've come a stronger feeling of Christ. And um, you know, one of the things I learned also, and probably some of it was when I worked at the Mission Training Center, or when I was a Sunday school teacher, or when I taught priest quorum people. Um, whenever I taught a lesson, I would, I would say a prayer before and ask Heavenly Father to, that the Holy Ghost would loosen my tongue. And by doing that, I found that there were days when I would teach things that I didn't even know I knew that I, I mean, literally I would say words that I didn't even know existed. And because the Holy Ghost was helping me. So I have a very strong belief in Christ. And definitely one of the forms of the gift of tongues. That's true. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, it's a blessing.